0: Welcome to the People Data for Good podcast
1: with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I am here with Melissa Arante of Medallia. Melissa, how are you doing?
0: Great, Al. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, and I'm really, really excited to be talking with you. I mean, we've done a few Profile Live sessions together now, and I've been following your work specifically, as well as what Medallia is doing. So I'm really eager to learn about your journey, where you, how you got where you are, and you know, what are your thoughts about the future. So if you would, introduce yourself a bit, and uh, we'll get into it.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm thrilled to be here, and I've been following your work uh, for years. So thank you for inviting me. Um, brief introduction. Um, I've been in HR my entire career. It's what I always wanted to do. Actually. Um, I won't tell you about everything since I was in high school, but when I was in high school, I was interviewing executives to see what they did. And I met some particularly inspiring people who were in HR. Um, and my big decision was, do I want to be an HR corporate or would I actually like to work for a labor union? That was my big decision back then. Wow. Um, so Ended up going to school, got really interested in research, got a PhD in industrial relations. So still trying to decide um, management or union and then just started working for corporations. Um, And I was doing different kinds of analytics until one day I found this job opening where they were looking for someone who had a PhD in industrial relations. And that had been about 12 years out of school. And it was the first time someone was actually looking for me because when I first came out of school. People analytics wasn't really a thing. Uh, it was just just starting, even though the government and the military had been doing it for decades. Right, uh, that was a Liberty Mutual Insurance. Mm-hmm. So that's well, why it started in people analytics.
1: Yeah, because it wasn't always called people analytics, right? It was mm-hmm. you know industrial relations. It was. Uh, labor market research. If there are any number of naming conventions were out there, and really, at least as I look back on the last twenty years, it was probably, you know, middle. I was about to say middle knots. <laughs> two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, you know, Google had put a stake in the ground, calling their discipline uh, people analytics, and you know, it was workforce analytics, talent analytics. Uh, before that, and so here you are you know, thinking about representing people in the form of labor unions here. and also, you know, organizations have needs to understand what's happening with the worker experience so they can optimize their investments in people. And oftentimes, you know, there's trade-offs there. And so one of the things that I've been taken back by your work is you have a very clear perspective uh, realization that there are trade-offs that, you know, organizations are there particularly commercial organizations to you know make money and and, and you know satisfy their shareholder and customer needs. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we have human beings in the workplace that have their unique needs and, and, and desires. So can can you speak to that and how that has formed your way of you know thinking and in, in your work, you know, in, in here in 2021 and beyond?
0: Thank you so much for noticing that. And and that's really what started way back, you know, when I was trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up and why I was interested in unions, because I wanted to represent workers. My dad was an executive and my mom was working in a billing department and um, they'd come home from work really upset on a regular basis and very stressed.
2: Hmm. And I
0: wanted to make that better. And and I thought unions would be the place at first. And of course, I've learned uh, since it's not, um, but that is actually why I've ended up at Medalia because I feel like I can have a much bigger impact working across many companies for taking what I like to call the employee view and letting the employee have the opportunity to share what are their needs, their obstacles, um, what's exciting for them you know why do they come to work you know to have impact to be a part of something bigger than themselves and I want to help represent that and move that forward because it's going to be better for not just employees but of course for companies. And it's so, inextricably linked with diversity and inclusion. So I know I'm taking it pretty far, but I think that's what it's about.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I've
0: been talking a lot with Lexi Martin about this lately of this year. Um, she's so awesome, so insightful. Um, and she's really helped me see this, how closely linked they are that diversity and inclusion at its heart is us not having certain people for various reasons have the impact that they could have at work.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and
0: so I think that's really where we take employee experience too to really humanize work so we can bring all of us to work and have an impact.
1: Now, if I'm listening to you and knowing you and Lexi, uh, I will say that both of you have a very realistic commercial orientation. It's not just you all being nice. It is something that uh, has to be acknowledged, that we are people who come in and we have... at our fundamental level, want to be respected and appreciated. What I like to say is we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be empowered. And oftentimes that feeling isn't there that, Hey, we're just a cog in a wheel. You know, you're lucky to have a job. Just here's a bunch of work, you know, go do it. And so what I'm calling out and where I'm going to land with a question on this is that it's just not a, Good thing to do because it's right by people. It's a good thing to do for business purposes. And going back 20 years ago, it's like, okay, go prove the link between a positive employee experience, engagement, satisfaction, whatever you want to call it, and downstream outcomes. That's pretty much been validated in industry after industry over the years. And now it just invites the question. What are you doing about it? So, you know, where I, you know, come to you at this point in time is, do you feel similarly that there's enough research out there that has validated this linkage, and it's now really incumbent upon leaders to make decisions to advance the employee experience, and not only again for the well-being of the individual, but for their commercial uh, success ongoing. What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, I agree, Al, and and I don't agree just that it's happened lately. An example from 20 years ago, I was talking with the head of claims, and I was being asked in a presentation to him by his HR business partner to present evidence of how employee engagement can impact his claims organization, his claim success. And I got to the first slide, and he stops me, and he goes, of course, employee engagement is going to impact claims success. My employees are most important part of the claims organization and the most expensive part of the claims organization. I already know this, just tell me how to do it because Mm. it's gonna have a bigger impact than any process or system change that I've been trying to make today. Mm. So, And I've heard that from more than one leader. That's just the one that stood out to me so much, um, you know, really 20 years ago. So I think managers have been there, line managers. I think, you know, um, for some HR professionals, we haven't caught up to them. Interesting. The managers are asking us for it because they've already been managing things, um, you know, looking at the numbers and understanding the impact on the business.
1: We need to. We... And there's been, and I agree. Um, I also, if I'm um, uh, HR leader, CHRO, even an HR business partner or COE lead, I would sit back and said, "Yeah, I, I can see that. I agree." I would also put forth that a lot of business leaders. And uh managers think that it's merely a change in behavior um, on their own behavior. And while I would contend that's part of it, it's also a process change and oftentimes a technological change. And where I'm getting is not many organizations, at least at this point, have invested consciously in creating the systems, process, and technology to support positive employee experiences ongoing. Uh, can you speak to that? And obviously that's core to what Medallia does, uh, but it's not. it doesn't happen just because you want it to happen. It doesn't happen just because, well, I'm going to start treating people with respect. Well, if you have a 10,000 person organization, you can't like go out there and treat 10,000 people every day. So can you speak to the need to make appropriate investments, technologically, data-wise, process-wise, in order to create positive experiences over time and at scale?
0: Yeah, so I have two kind of divergent comments on that. One, what I've been observing at Medallia, because um, Medallia was founded on customer experience, we have a lot of um, business people, or at least non-HR people that are customers, and once they see employee experience, this is what I've been waiting for. We have operations managers, retail managers, sales managers so often, you know, or leaders really who come to us and they are running a 5,000 person, 10,000 person business. Like it's not happening from corporate that's running the 50,000 person company. So I'm going to do it in my own organization. Help me figure out what is the change, the technological change, the cultural change, because I'm going to do it with my own business because I need to do this in order to have a good business, to be successful, and ultimately to improve the customer experience and drive profit. Yeah. So that's one thing that I'm seeing.
1: And what was the other thing? Um,
0: and then the other thing, when you paused, I forgot for a moment. Let me see if I remember it in a second, and if I don't want to. Well, actually, well,
1: it, while you're doing that, let me take off what you just shared, because given your research background, uh, we used to do this linkage research, if you want to call it that, on an event-driven basis. And it's like, okay, we've now studied this dynamic, we have this level of insight. And now here are some recommendations. The half-life of that insight was very small. You know, in other words, if action wasn't taken quickly, then it just it went stale. In some cases, there are salient truths that, you know, can be acknowledged. But you know, given the changes in the world, changes in, you know, customer bases, changes in location, there is value in studying this ongoing. And that's where the technology comes in. So you can actually see how things shift and move and adjust accordingly. Would you echo that? And that, um, you know, important in this day and age from your perspective?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. But I do think those those findings could have a longer shelf life. If you think about findings outside of HR, like, you know, kind of a very negative finding that everyone accepts, the link between smoking and lung cancer, right? We've made all kinds of changes since we found that link, but that link is always true. So finding a relationship, just because action hasn't been taken, doesn't nullify that finding. We can still look at findings from 20, 50 years ago that are still true. We're just still trying to get people to take action on the basis of them, so we don't need to research them again. Like I can't tell you how often I've done a study and realize I've rediscovered the theory of motivation. <laughs> I didn't need to do that; yeah. that was well established. Right? Well, <laughs> when it comes down to it, that's often. What well, well
1: do. you bring up a great point, and if I'm listening. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, that's great. You know, you're linking the employee experience with the customer experience to understand that, that dynamic, you find levers, you move them all great. Um, there's an implication in there that as soon as you find insight, that appropriate action is going to be taken. And we know from examples over the recent years, that it's not just the insight itself. It's the means in which it's packaged and communicated to in turn drive appropriate healthy action. Can you speak to that art and science Mm -hmm. of packaging and communicating insight so the decision makers will actually receive it and, you know, again, take appropriate healthy action?
0: Yeah, I'm actually going to give uh, two examples. The first is going to come from my time in customer experience. So you may recall, Al, that even though I've been in HR my entire career, I did move into customer research for two years at Citizens Mm -hmm. Bank. And that was because I was bringing customer and employee data together. Um, And I have to say, for anyone who's thinking of moving into another area for a period of time, it was one of the most rejuvenating things I've ever done in my life. And to have spent my entire career studying just people as employees, to study them as customers was eye-opening. And I've learned so much from it. And I'm so much better in people analytics because I did that. So I would encourage anyone to do that. Uh, But an example I'll give you on taking action, because I did see a lot more action when I was working in customer experience. So when I would provide research and insights, what I would find is the things that affected an individual customer where they could quickly see yeah, we thought this was a problem. And now we've observed multiple customers experiencing this. We could get people to take action more on that because they could identify it with specific individual customers because they were identified.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, it's Al Adamson. And he has a banking, <laughs> yeah. you know, he has a check, checking account with us and he's got his wealth account with us and he's worth, you know, X dollars and he's been a loyal customer and we want to make sure that we solve this for him and and these mm. others. So they were very human. We knew these people and wanted to help them. Um, the place that was harder to get action taken was, when it was the higher level, which is um, they call it the outer loop. And that's closing it more broadly, seeing that there's a, a systematic problem, not just individual customers experiencing the problem, but that we need to change something in the system. And I think that's what happens in employee search. We don't identify who the employees are. So we've lost some of their humanity. They are just an engineer or an accountant or whatever they are, a level, a tenure. And, uh, and we're not seeing them so much as human. So we're only kind of doing this outer loop. We're not connecting with an individual and solving a problem, we're just connecting at the high level and now we're looking at like a million dollar investment in training. And they look at previous investments in training and they say, well, I'm not sure how it turned out so I'm not gonna do it. Um, So I actually advocate more of what we call the inner loop on the customer side, solving problems with individual employees. I think that's where we can start. And I think that's a place that we haven't been doing very much in HR. And I think there are so many opportunities to do that. Um, Places where employees are willing to be identified because they want help in solving these problems or the employee wants to help solve the problem.
1: Nice. I I want you to elaborate on that a little bit and I like this concept of inner loop uh, a lot because at the end of it, If there are stories, real life stories that people were affected by the insight and the action, then that resonates more. That'll be more sticky. Um, I echo uh, Steven Pinker, a psychologist at Harvard, talked about Stories being the cognitive building blocks of thought. It's not sentences or paragraphs or even concepts. It's it's stories. So if we can create these stories, then hopefully we can influence in a more intentional and meaningful way. So regarding the inner loop, are you talking about specific individuals and packaging them and communicating them And related question? Or can it be personas where you have a group of you know, similar people or similar situations and then you know, clustering them? So it's a series of stories, if you will. I mean, what are your thoughts there around this inner loop?
0: So I do think of persona um, when I think about especially diversity and inclusion, because it's just so much more sensitive there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: and I think that we could have a small number of people in a diversity persona expressing um. or or even just sharing what it's like to to be in their um, position in the organization compared to, for example, a white male. When we see them describing um, in their responses to a survey, you know, what it's like, it's so different. And by comparing the two, we can understand it. And then I think it's really appropriate to address it at the persona level um, Mm -hmm. so that we can broaden it beyond the the few people who responded and shared that with us. Um, But otherwise, I think there's many opportunities where especially our high-performing employees are here because they want to make a difference Mm -hmm. and they want to be a part of the solution. And so when they complete a survey, they're starting a dialogue with us, right? They're starting the conversation and they want teams to work. They want to work within their team and with their manager to bring solutions. Um, And they're coming with ideas and they should be identified and recognized. Mm -hmm. So I think Thinking about employee feedback, it's not the old idea of you complain and then the company or the manager tries to figure out what to do. You start a conversation about things that we want to do to make it better, and then together we solve it. And that's where I think employees will want to be identified. And we see it as we offer video at Medallia and employees. We just talked about that earlier this week. Um, And employees will volunteer. Um, they want their face shown. They want recognition. They want to speak to senior leaders. They want to give ideas. They're on the front line every day. They know the problems and have ideas to solve them.
1: So if I'm listening, I'm like, well, that's that's new and different because I thought that if for a survey to generate good data, then it had to be anonymous. Um, the Taker of the survey. The respondent had to know that they weren't going to be singled out. What would you say to someone who's thinking that?
0: I've never run an anonymous survey in my entire career, and I've been doing this for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. There will always be some employees who are hesitant to respond for some reason related to that. And that's too bad. You know, I would love to hear from all employees. Um, but majority of employees will respond and they wanna be a part of positive change. And that's why they're here. That's why they're working for us. So let's give them the opportunity. And the ones who don't want to don't have to be identified, right? We can allow them not to. Um, but I love the idea of giving them recognition for their suggestions on solving things because this should be about creating trust. We wanna make employees feel like you need to be protected from the company in which you work, that we have to hide and, and, and keep you anonymous. We should be able to have these healthy conversations about how we make things better. And that what's what the conversation should be. It shouldn't be that my manager is a jerk. It should be my manager could be more effective if they communicated in this way or if we had these types of meetings. We're all trying to get better. Yeah. Let's do it in the spirit of positivity and improvement so we can all get better.
1: Absolutely. I love it. And yeah, as you're sharing this, it's a reality that I believe you and I have talked about this, is that. People managers, uh, people leaders, achieve their status in organizations many times not because they are natural connectors and inspire others. They, you know, have been um, in some cases right place, right time, or relationships, or degrees, or, or what have you. Um, and other times, yeah, they do do have the skills and everything in, in between. So it then invites the question: you know, what is the role for HR? Um, that assumes the HR uh, professionals have skills in coaching and identifying um a team and in individual dynamics and how to improve them. And then there are the likes of yourself and others who have spent their careers and they have the educational background to really understand you know, what's happening, um, at least to far greater extent than those who don't have this educational background and set of experiences so my question coming out of that is what is the role for a subject matter expert whether it be internal or external to facilitate the uh, not only the communication of the insight but the crafting of the appropriate actions because if we armchair it and just say, "Well, you know, I'm going to do that because you know that's what my last boss did," you know, there's risk in that because uh, they don't have the breadth of awareness of what options might actually nudge an individual or nudge a group of people. So, thoughts there?
0: Yeah, I love this question, Al. I think back, you know, decades. I feel so old when I say stuff, like that, but it was <laughs> a long time ago when I first started doing this kind of stuff. <clears throat> And I used to think that my job was, you know, clean all the data, do the analysis, provide the insight and walk away. And when I did that, nothing happened generally. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't believe it. I said, well, why isn't anything happening? Well, well, we don't know what to do. Well, how do you not know what to do? I just told you why people are leaving or whatever the conclusion yeah. was. Like, well, then what do we do to change that? And I thought, well, who in the world am I to tell you what to do? And I just so remember that. Um, Speaking with a head of HR, I worked with Helen Sales. It's just so amazing. And she said to me, well, of course, you're the person who should figure that out. What do you know about what's going on? What have you been reading? What do you know from the organization that's going on? Put all the pieces together and make recommendations. Like, really, me? Of course, (laughs) you. So I started doing that and people started taking action. I thought, well, the more I see, you know, they only see their small area that they work in, right? A manager often only has five or 10 people. Even if you're an executive, maybe you have a hundred people. It's really hard to see trends, mm-hmm. but I can see them because I'm looking over tens of thousands of people. And I'm also going to consortiums and working with peers at other companies. I'm looking at hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of, you know, employees and the trends across those. So I, I do have insight that they don't have and to be able to share that with them. So now they can have it. They have a lot of hypotheses about why people are leaving or how to hire people better or who's going to be a better performer. They don't have the opportunity to test it. So I'm testing the manager's hypotheses and giving them that insight and not just giving it to single managers. We started creating these one-pagers where we would share an insight that we did a study for a single manager to all managers. So now all managers knew this hypothesis and how it was tested and whether it was worth investing in or not. And that turns out to be so powerful. And that's how we're getting people to action.
1: Yeah, it, uh, it makes me happy that you just told that story <laughs> because I believe uh, people, analytics, professionals, uh, whether they be IO psychologists, backgrounds in industrial relations or a similar field, have to be more assertive. Um, I long ago talked about a crisis of clarity, crisis of courage, Um, and a crisis of creativity in forming ways forward in other words what culture do we want to create question mark has that been defined Um, do we have a clear idea of what's happening now and how we're going to achieve that desired future state assuming that you can clarify that and then if we do have current state future state Are we going to be creative enough to accommodate the intricacies in improvements over time? Because it can't be just a peanut butter approach. It's like there's different people, there's different groups. So I'd like to think that we're improving in that regard as a discipline. I like to think that we're being recognized to that add more value i think both you and i would like to wave a wand and have it be you know 10 20 50 x from where it is now but where i want to land with this is why do you think um people analytics and the insights that we generate haven't been more um pervasive aren't more widely used or do you think hey it, it is really widely used now what are your thoughts there
0: yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I don't think it's as widely as we'd like it to be anyway.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so I do have a hypothesis and I could be wrong. So I would love for anyone to come with other hypotheses. Mine is something we've talked a little bit about and that's uh, personality of people who are analysts. Um, you know, I'll, I'll make a generalization that we tend to be introverts. I certainly am. And I'm a data analyst at heart and I love nothing more than to spend hours, if not days, working with the data and coming up with new ideas and trying out new things and, you know, living in my head. I absolutely love it. I find it fascinating in there, probably terrifying (laughs) for others, but fascinating to me. Um, But I can't have any impact on the world if I'm only living within my head. And, you know, for me uh, being an introvert, it's hard to, you know, go into these meetings with executives and, make statements about change, especially I think we have an opportunity to be extremely creative because we don't have all the limitations that they do. An executive sitting in claims or in a bank branch or wherever they might be can see all the limitations, but we don't, we see all the possibilities because we don't have those constraints and we're looking at data and we can see these trends. And so I think that really is our job that the analytics is just the start then we have to figure out, even though we're afraid, we have to be brave and bring those ideas forward. And the first time we do, they're often gonna say, no, we're not gonna do that. That's kind of crazy talk or whatever. Let them say that. Every no is a step to yes. Mm -hmm. Just keep bringing your ideas forward. And you'll find some executives who are so excited, they're ready to make a change. They're up against some sort of challenge or they're having some sort of problem. And what you bring is finally a way for them forward. Others are conservative and afraid and they won't. And then you'll show them the change you make and others will follow. And it just takes being brave. Just go ahead and say it.
1: And I'm going to pick up on that being brave and um, the courage theme, uh, because you spoke um, and I would agree with you. Um, that hypothesis. I mean, we can go test it. (laughs) I have another hypothesis in that many um, CHROs and leaders of talent and organizational leaders in general, uh, they haven't grown up in doing analytics, let alone studying the workforce and doing people analytics or workforce planning. And very quickly, those uh, who are astute in understanding what Not only the process is, but the outcome. People analytics elevates the level of accountability around his or her decisions. So, and both decisions and non decisions. So, as soon as you discover some dynamic that's happening, diversity, equity, and inclusion being a perfect example, then you now have a moral, ethical, and likely commercial responsibility to take appropriate action. Now, if somebody has been an executive for 20 plus years, they have spent a good portion of that career, that time in the absence of such accountability or a lot less visibility into the implications of their actions, the outcomes of their actions. So I'm not a cynic by nature. Um, However, I have seen this dynamic unfold where CHROs and others are fearful frankly, uh, and I'll use that word intentionally, they're they're concerned that this is going to shine a light on them and their decisions that formerly did not exist. What are your thoughts there? And I understand this is a a response that you're going to have to balance (laughs) appropriately, but I'm talking in general. Um, And how do you think that would be overcome, assuming that you would agree that it's present in some situations?
0: So I think less that our internal client is the CHRO, I think it's our business leaders and our frontline managers. Mm. Um, I mean, the CHRO has many, many roles, but I think some of the reasons why he or she is more hesitant is because their role has been um, avoiding risk or protecting against risk, right? Um, And limiting liability, um, keeping people safe. I mean, a lot of things that wouldn't say you should take accountability for these things and go try these really creative ideas um, because it's a different role, right? But I don't think they're our internal client. I think our internal (laughs) client is the business leaders. These people are heads of sales. These are their employees. The CHRO is responsible for policy and procedure. In my opinion, not so much the actual employees. Those are the managers. And those are the people who are a hundred percent accountable for engagement and All the other things that go along with it, not necessarily the CHRO.
1: I I absolutely agree and love what you're saying. And I wish we were having this conversation 20 years ago because (laughs) many people analytics teams sit within HR. And so they have multiple customers, HR being one, and um, obviously the business to your point um, being another. And so one of the things that has been a hot topic over the past uh, few years, and for me, the last decade plus is not only who owns this but what is the governance model around it so it is in fact healthy and let me see the response because i view hr and people analytics in general as a facilitator they bring the insight but in terms of the prioritization in terms of you know facilitating the action with the, a certain group it invites the question, who is that group? At what frequency do we meet? You know, what's the process by which this insight gets communicated and absorbed and action taken? So again, without getting too far you know, downstream here, you know, what would you advocate be the you know, governance model? Or, and would you even agree that we in HR, uh, with people analytics and insights and workforce planning, that we are in fact facilitators as opposed to owners of a process?
0: So what I learned when I was in customer experience is we didn't have the equivalent of an HR business partner. Mm -hmm. We went right to the business Mm -hmm. and every single business was our internal customer and we worked directly with them. There was no one in between. There was no one translating or consulting. Our insights went direct to the president of each business or the product owner or the head of retail or whatever it was. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so much easier because we heard directly from them what their issues were. I mean, so often when I was in HR and working through an HR business partner and I've had so many amazing HR business partners that I've worked with and we have done so many great things together. Um, But in general, I do think that model where insights goes to an HR business partner and the business partner goes to the business, it's a game of telephone that isn't very successful. When we go together, because there's certainly a role for the HR business partner, one that I do not have the skills to play, But when we go together to the business and and the analytics person can hear firsthand the questions or even just the discussion, I can sit in a meeting and hear a business person say the things they're trying to achieve. And I can immediately think of ways we can do analyses to help them make better informed decisions to achieve those goals. But the HR business partner isn't thinking that way. They're thinking in a very different way that's very valuable in their way. Um, But without me or someone like me present, it doesn't come back. Yeah. Um, but when I was in you know customer experience and worked directly with them made a lot more progress a lot faster a lot more action um, and and often it was it was smaller what we were doing um, than what you would get with with making changes with employees um, yeah.
1: I <clears throat> what you're sh- sharing I want all like chROs and others to hear because uh, I think there's this idea that, that game of telephone has to be played, and that the biggest barrier is to get the HR business partners uh, upskilled. And in some cases, there's not the willingness or uh, interest uh, or capability, maybe in some cases, to become not only uh, effective communicators of insight, but even beforehand, to your point of sitting in a meeting understanding how to help prioritize, help a people on team prioritize what's going to be most important. There's been this, and this is something that gives me gray hair. It's like, oh, here's a dashboard. Help us tell a story about what's in the dashboard. Like, you know, what the leaders want or need to know. So what I'm hearing is that, there is a significant role for a people analytics leader or team to get closer to the business so they can understand the nuances and form their priorities accordingly and you know, partner with the HR business partners, but not rely on them to do all that translation. Is that a fair playback?
0: Exactly. It's not the translation. That, that role never works. The role of game of telephone never works. That's why kids play it. And it's so much fun because it's silly what comes out of the end, Right. Yeah. But my most success I've had is where we truly were partners and we went together to the business and they, they weren't afraid that, it, that, that me being there was threatening because I don't have the skills they have. I could never do what they're doing. I'm just doing my piece and I can do my piece effectively when I can speak directly to the business leader and get the information. Um, and then the business partner is so much better empowered to do all their consulting and their change management and all those things that are not what I do.
1: Love it. You know, and I want to come back to this um, notion of governance, because, you know, what we're talking about is, you know, having a business leader, uh, you know, make decisions, and some of those decisions might involve IT, they might involve facilities, they might involve legal and data privacy, uh, digital transformation, that there's a lot of stakeholders that could be involved in Bringing a certain change to life. So, you know, here we are at this juncture where the speed of data um, creation data analysis is, you know, it's a breakneck speed. It's awesome. It's daunting. It's important as we've agreed. However, if we don't have the right people in the room, maybe the appropriate change you know, won't happen or won't stick. So you know, what are your views right now around ensuring that these key stakeholder groups are involved in understanding what you're doing and the insights and recommendations that you're putting forth? Do you see that as an emerging need or, or a need that needs to be addressed you know, much more effectively than has been historically the case?
0: I do agree. Um, And I think there's so much we can do to inform them um, because they are not getting the feedback from employees that we're getting in HR. So we get so much feedback in HR about IT or procurement or legal or whatever it is. Let's share that immediately in real time. Let's not spend time analyzing it ourselves because we're never going to know what are the right decisions for real estate or procurement or any of the others. Let's just get the data to them as quickly as we can so they can digest it and take action But the other piece I'd say is when we are trying to influence those groups from HR, all those groups are our peers. So we're all in it together supporting the business. And it's harder to influence sideways because they've got all their other priorities. But the best way to influence, again, is go to the business. Here's what we found. This is how you're gonna impact the employee experience. And here's an estimate in dollars. Just look at reducing turnover. I mean. Doing some improvements in employee experience, we know we can generally improve turnover 2% at least. That's a super conservative estimate. Bring those numbers in. You've got the business behind you. Let them tell IT and procurement and all the others. Then everyone's all aligned trying to solve a business problem, trying to improve the business instead of us continually trying to influence You know, yeah. at the sides. It's much harder.
1: No, I, I, I like the way you're thinking about it. I think it's very... Um... Uh, I keep using the word appropriate, but I'll just use it again. Cause it's, uh, to your point, it's hard to influence, hard to gain attention. It's hard to gain attention over time. So, you know, having a more integrated approach, I think is, you know, not only called for, I think it's, um, yeah, essential. And then it invites the question, similar to what I asked before, you know, why isn't it happening to a greater extent for my money? This is one of the biggest opportunities that we have in advancing our discipline is getting better at stakeholder relationship management or improving our operating model or however we want to, you know, package it. Um, it, it, taking off of what you just shared, and again, I understand that there's a whole host of variables, organization to organization, on this, but would you see people, analytics professionals, internal, uh, facilitating a workforce strategy meeting on a monthly basis or an ongoing, recurring basis where they're actually sharing the insights that they're generating? and devising means in which to move forward? Or would you see it being more point to point? I mean, what would be your ideal future state for a operating model or governance model to make sure the insight that we're generating is actually driving appropriate action?
0: So I think by starting with business problems, right? Regularly meeting with the leaders. I mean, when I was in customer research, I mean, in people analytics, I was overwhelmed with requests, but in customer research, it was 10 times. There were so many people coming to me all the time directly from the business with all kinds of questions and ideas and things to look into. And it was, you know, work to prioritize. But I also had a big budget to pay for bringing in um, extra help or hiring people or whatever I might need to do because the business had money to fund it Um, and they needed it done. And it it was because it was for customers. I think we need to elevate um, the employee to that level, right? It was like, you know... Many, many decades ago, Ford said that um, the customer can have any color car they want as long as it's black. (laughs) And and that was how we felt. And we made customers change to what we could provide. And we were doing that with employees too, right? We all know it. We're building a system and we're like, oh, well, this is going to be kind of hard for the HR people to enter this or whatever. It's like, that's okay. They're employees. As long as it's good for the customer, you know, and we have to change change that so that we're making it um, better for the employees. So I know I've gone a little bit to the side, um, but I really think um, the heart of it is is having it come from the business. Find a business problem and solve it. You get all the resources, the money aligned behind that. And when you solve a business problem, you've created a champion and you keep moving forward from there.
1: So if I'm sitting in facilities, if I'm sitting in um, HR, if I'm sitting in IT, I also want to know the business problems, and if I am a business leader, I don't want to tell it twenty times. uh, To, I don't want to tell the same story to twenty different people. I would like to say it. Okay, this is my situation. This is my uh, what I feel are my priorities to understand, and I have to synthesize all these ideas. And historically, what I've seen is. HR and people analytics, you know, having one kind of pipeline to a business leader and facilities and IT having these other pipelines, is there room to kind of bring those pipelines together and have the business leader share as, okay, this is what's going on. And do you see that happening? And if not, would you like to see it happening?
0: Yeah, so I see it happening in the customer side. So we would align against our vision for customers. We knew how we wanted customers to be treated. For example, at a bank, we want customers to be treated with respect. So everything was oriented around that. You know, you can see some companies where they'll just say we're customer focused, but what does that mean? It's the same thing that happens on the employee side. Like we want a great employee experience. Everyone wants a great employee experience, but what does that mean? we need to define a vision for that. And I would suggest the place to start is to look at what we're promising to our customers. So for example, if we're promising our customers to feel trusted, we trust them, they trust us. The only way to really drive that is to have our employees feel trusted. So we would design everything in our company with the idea that we want people, regardless of whether they're an employee or a customer, have this value of feeling trusted. So that means we don't start with the regulatory requirement. We are still going to meet the regulatory requirement. There is no question in a bank we're going to meet the regulatory requirement. But our first priority is will it make the customer and the employee feel trusted? Or is it going to make them feel like they're under suspicion? I, I, I tell this story about the ATM as an example. When we design um, the process for an ATM, customer goes, they they ask for $80 from the ATM, they get 60. They come into the branch and they say to the teller, I asked for 80, I got 60. So you need to give me $20. Well, what you want the teller to say and what the teller wants to say is, sure, customer, we know you. We have your bank account. We've got your address, like you're covered. I'm going to give you the $20 now and in the back, we'll investigate it and figure it all out. So don't worry. But that's not what we say. We say, well, I'm sorry, customer, I'm going to fill out this form yeah. and I'm going to hold your $20 for two weeks because the regulatory requirement says I must figure this out within two weeks. And in two weeks, you'll get $20 back if if we determine you should. Yeah. That is the opposite of trusting for both yeah. the teller and the customer. So yeah. that's the idea. If we could get those in alignment. And we're all working towards that. Then the business leader doesn't have to go tell this to finance and IT and facilities and everyone else. We're all working to the same goal. And that's a priority.
1: Love it. Love that story. And, uh, yeah, I, I have to, um, just toggle a little bit because we're coming out of COVID. Now I say that with a big asterisk and, you know, there's I'm actually kicking my own self because.
0: Well, we'll know who to blame if we don't come out. Yeah, it's it's just
1: like it's an amoeba. Obviously, it's it's um, in India right now. My heart goes out of what's happening there, and by no means is it over. Um, here in the states, we have a heightened degree of, of normalcy. Um, the whole return to workplace strategies are you know emerging, and they, at least from my perspective, are, are all over the map, which is probably a good thing, you know, that there's appropriate strategies for appropriate industries and locations and and things like that. So my question is, what is the role from your perspective of analytics, particularly people analytics and, and workforce planning in not only devising these return to workplace strategies, but really forming these work strategies over time, uh, because it's, you know, something like this could happen again. Uh, there's different stages of life. There's all these different concerns and we've in effect proven that we can work from home. So, you know, what are your thoughts there and, you know, the role of analytics and devising work strategies over time,
0: providing data. So people can make evidence-based decisions, not decisions, (laughs) (laughs) Right? right. I know I'm preaching to the choir, right.
2: You
0: know, We don't want people to work from home because they'll spend the day you know, feeding the cat and doing laundry. Well, we know that's not what they spend the day doing. We do actually more work when we're at home. And that was true before this, uh, when you talk to people who work from home. So let's use the data. There's all kinds of data out there. We should be putting it together and making the case. I mean, I do think a big goal of people analytics is representing the employee's view. Um, You know, each individual employee is just one observation. And so that's not heard. But when we put it all together and we can show the trend, now we have data and now we can focus on solving the problem instead of discussing whether something's true or not
1: you said uh, a big goal of people analytics. I thought you said a big bowl of people <laughs> analytics <laughs> I was like, what does a big bowl of people analytics look like? i I just like the image, so thank you for that. I think too.
0: oh <laughs> yeah. let us make a big bowl yeah, let's make
1: a big bowl of people analytics and uh within that would be insight and insight then would drive the action that you're talking about yeah i I agree i'd i really hope that many of these tiger teams these covid teams that were spun up to respond to the well-being and engagement of their remote workforce actually stay intact because uh, the idea that okay we've learned about you know how they're thinking and feeling you know in january of 2021 and to assume that's still going to apply in september of 2021 and beyond at least for my money is, erroneous and it's risky so there has to be a constant uh studying uh of the workforce would you uh, you know agree with that and what would your coaching be there i
0: agree i wrote a blog on this when it when when we all first got locked down you know a year Mm. ago march and i wasn't in favor of these tiger teams or silver teams or whatever they're called because that is the way we dealt with things in the past Mm. a big event happened a hurricane a flood you know some major issue and we brought together a team and they they worked daily, closely together, they figured out a solution and then they disbanded. That's not what this is. And we could tell even back then, right? Yep. This yep. is more like what I, and I forget the acronym, I think it's called the ODAP loop that they use in the military. In particular, right. I was looking at the Air Force and how do mm-hmm. they make decisions? So Air Force pilots, this loop, they, they, they look at their environment, they look at their instruments, um, they bring in one more piece of data, right? They analyze it, they make a decision and then they do that process again and they constantly do it. So air force pilots, constantly look at the environment, their instruments, how they feel, the weather, whatever it is, they put that together, make a decision and then adjust. And that's what it has to be constantly bringing in the information and adjusting. And we have to be ready to adjust. And that's what people analytics can provide with continuous listening or daily analytics. I mean, dashboards shouldn't be run once a month or once a quarter, or goodness sakes, once a year. It should be running in real time. People should be able to look at any moment and say, what's our altitude? What's our speed? What's the wind? What's the enemy doing? That's the other one. That's the other condition you look at. What's the condition <laughs> doing? I didn't remember the third one.
1: <laughs> you got there. You, you, got, you got there. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have. Uh, we have time for a couple more uh, questions here. And, and one question that comes to mind given what you're sharing because you have a view you know over the last you know 15 20 plus years and um, I say that respectfully just for the record um, and you know there's this idea that we are heading towards a new normal whatever that means so the pointed question is where would you like people analytics and HR organizations in general to be in you know, not only right now, but in a year's time, because we're evolving really fast, you know, the uh, proliferation of systems, you know, there's what I think the Cedar Crestone study said there's, you know, organizations over 10,000 people have an average of 15 HR systems within their uh, mm-hmm. companies. So it's like, there's all this data, there's all this technology, uh, but to generate this insight, you know, takes work. So, you know, going back to the question, you know, what do you hope for the near future here? Not only with people analytics, but HR in general,
0: that when we go to make a decision that we require data, Right. That we don't have HR people going into a room and saying, here's what I think. They walk Mm -hmm. into the room with the data and the rest Mm -hmm. of the meeting is spent on solving the problem. So -hmm. they're not just another person with an opinion arguing with procurement and finance and all the others. They're the ones coming in with the data. Nice. And then we start yeah, taking action. And I think I think it's kind of getting out of our HR silo. Yeah you know, like I said, we need to be working with the business. I mean, should the analytics team even be in HR? I'm not sure that it should be.
1: Yeah. The uh, perpetual question. And yeah, as you shared your response, you know, I have to say that I'm familiar with studies as you are, uh, that metrics and analytics were the number one or two priority of CHROs 20 years ago. And the uptake has been, modest. Some organizations have fully embraced it. And so why do you think um, that is even now, you know, yes, more organizations are are doing, you know, people analytics and studying their workforce, but of those who still are reluctant, you know, what has to shift?
0: So I don't know if everyone's reluctant. I would say now they're not reluctant. They all want to do it, but I think and I could be wrong, and I welcome other people's opinion. This is just one person's opinion. What I've observed is they put people in the role that haven't had necessarily the training. Of course, I'm biased, and I think yeah. that um, training as a researcher is essential, especially a researcher of people. You could come from customer or, or some other way of researching people, sociology, psychology. But that's <laughs>
1: another good one. <laughs> I, I, that was shamelessly selfish. So.
0: <laughs> But you're exactly right. But but, but they'll bring in uh, someone who came from finance or someone with an MBA or, or people with excellent training for many things, but not necessarily people analytics. And so they struggle with how to conduct research, how to just design experiments, quasi experiments. That's really what we're doing and following the scientific method. I know it's very basic, but when you don't follow it, it's very hard to actually have findings and test hypotheses. Yeah. So they start with the data. They don't start with a question and yeah. they amass a lot of data and they spend a lot of money on systems and they're still not getting to something because that's not how you start. You start with a question and then you go after the data and you don't let limitations in, well, do we have a data available for that? No, figure out the question, figure out what you need to know. And then you'll either figure out how you get data for it or you won't, it won't be perfect.
1: And so what I'm hearing is that you need the right person and that person, correct me if I'm wrong, needs to be empowered with the right technology. Now, Full disclosure, you're with a technology provider. Um, That does not diminish the fact that you no longer are we doing this in Excel. You know, some stuff might be done in Excel on an ad hoc basis. But if we're going to scale, if we're going to have something sustainable, if we're going to have something that's fast, then we need technology. There needs to be technology enablement. Would you you agree with that? That I'm a CHRO and I want this capability, or to your point, it could be outside of HR. Then not only do I need the right person, but I need to empower him or her team uh, with the right technology. Is that a fair statement from your perspective?
0: And the, Yes. And the reason we need the technology is because we need to get the insights out of HR analytics and out of HR into the hands of every manager and potentially every employee. Employees should have insights too, into what we're learning. And that's why we need technology because we need it delivered in an instant to everyone and the insights team cannot go meet with everyone in an instant. But technology, no,
1: they, they, they can't. <laughs> well, God, Melissa is so enjoyable talking with you. As we you know start to wrap up here, I mean, how can people learn more about you and what you're up to?
0: Oh, thank you, Al. I love that question. Um, so you can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also go to the Medallia website. We have a section that's called Meet the Expert, and you can just sign up for time uh, to meet with me anytime. Love to talk with anyone. Clearly, you can tell I have a passion about this area. So, and, and I threw out a few hypotheses out there. I think I could be challenged on. So I would love to hear the challenges.
1: Well, again, thank you for doing what you do, as well as how you do it. And I uh, wish you the best and hope to see you uh, in person before too long.
0: Yes, I hope so. Thank you so much for letting me be here, Al. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Always a pleasure. Thanks, Melissa. Thank Bye-bye. you.
0: Bye. Thanks for joining the People Data for Good podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events and to join the People Data for Good movement, please visit us at pafau.net.